Hi there, welcome to the Cold Turkey Podcast. This week I'm sitting down with James. James, uh, we had quite an ex, um, an extensive conversation around rock bottom. Um, he's quite fresh in his sobriety. Uh, he has like a few weeks and I wanted to discuss with him, you know, like what pushes someone into uh, taking care of his life, you know, like and, and, and cleaning up his life and cleaning up his act. And um, it was a long profound and interesting quite interesting conversation that i had with james um i'm 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 sincerely full of gratitude for his honesty his openness um it was it was a pleasure meeting with him so um just quick note uh don't hesitate in sharing the podcast letting the, the people know that around you that you're listening to the podcast it can be found anywhere um spotify itunes google podcasts uh name it i think i'm published on over something like 14 platforms that do broadcast podcasts so uh, if you don't know the logo is actually white and blue it's like a park bench um so you can find me by typing podcast cold turkey pretty much anywhere and without further ado here's james enjoy Hey James, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, the first question I have to ask is, how's your pandemic going? You know, like that. You know, like I have. It seems like an obligated um, question I have every. You know, like every every new recording I do since the the shit has hit the fan worldwide. So yeah, um, yeah. it's it's the bar barbershop talk right now. <laughs> you just kind of got to address it. I feel like it, it, we have to. <laughs> it, re it, re it replaced the how's the weather? <laughs> exactly. How's how's the how's quarantine going? Um, where are you located uh, first? Uh, I'm in Huntington Beach, which is in Orange County over in California. Okay. And um, how have you been doing during, and we're still in it, but you know, like during that time, because I know Cali has like, like seems like, like there's a second uh, break taken by the state, right? You know, like the, the, you guys, as far as last week, were able to uh, pretty much do some of the outing, like, like restaurants and all, but you know, like it's been push back am i right yeah so uh last week everything was cool and i think it was thursday or friday um might have been a little earlier in the week they mandated that we have to shut everything down for another two weeks because the number of cases was surging again which uh, was kind of expected you know we had a lot of protests going on over here and when you get millions of people gathering in small tight spaces uh, <laughs> it's probably not the best thing for a pandemic but um here we are. I mean, that's what the governor's telling us to do. And something we just kind of got to abide by for the meantime. And as long as we know, hey, we got a little taste at least of, of freedom again. Yeah. So we're, we're hopeful <clears throat> it should pass and yeah, we'll get back to life. But right now, yeah, we're supposed to quarantine. And, and I think a lot of the businesses have kind of adjusted a little. A lot of cities are creating some outdoor space and spacing the tables apart. So a lot of the local businesses that were losing so much money are able to at least maintain not having to shut down and completely you know lose something that someone had built and, and uh, spent their livelihood on and you how, how have you you know like uh 
dealt and cope with that with it uh we didn't really get hit as hard as a lot of areas in california because orange county is just right south of la okay uh, los angeles you know any major metropolitan area los angeles san francisco a lot of the big cities like that are a lot more condensed and um it's just it's very mixed here as far as like political views so los angeles san francisco is super conservative you you know 30 minutes south you're in orange county and there's like a pretty conservative crowd here where uh, a lot of people just kind of went on with their daily lives anyway. But at the same time, we're kind of isolated in a little bit of a bubble. So we still weren't seeing the cases, even though, I mean, that changed recently. Now we are, I think people are taking it a little bit more seriously, but uh, the only way I really got affected was through work. Yeah, I had a lot of people who have businesses out of state and all of a sudden their income is completely shot and they can't get a loan on the house. I had a couple escrows fall through and I lost a, a lot of money that I was planning on using for taxes and credit card debt. So uh, I got hit financially pretty hard from it, even though I was considered an essential worker, which means I didn't have to stop performing my practice. But um, the fallout was still there. Could Can I, um, can I ask in what uh, field you work? Yeah, so I'm in residential real estate sales. So just helping people buy and sell houses. Okay, so and and that has, uh, well, I I I sell technology for a big vendor. So um, I've seen the major dip um, to actually to uh, to businesses. So I've seen the major dip of um, our companies and people are reacting to it you know like which is like saving their money be, being super careful about how they spend and mm -hmm. and 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 obviously um you know like uh you, you're in sales you know like so you so you know that but you know like they they yeah. i think the long-term impact of um doing anything remote um we're, we're far from seeing how bad or how much hurtful it is um just in terms of, you know, like the, the, I don't, I don't like the way I'm going to say it, but you know, like just in terms of how the power balance has now pretty much evened out, you know, like, so if you're on site, you yeah. can pretty much see the nonverbal, you know, like the body position, some of the, you know, like some of the ticks that, you know, like you, even some of our sixth sense kind of cap catches that. And you're like, okay, you know, like that guy, you know, like we, we we're on, on the good <laughs> you work on the good path yeah. of, you know, like doing something here. Um, you lose all of that, you know, like in a, in a, right. in a zoom or whatever mean, uh, you do that, that oh, big time. and, and it, you know, like, uh, yeah. there was an article last week about, um, it was a, it was a Canadian university that, you know, like mentioned how much it has hurt, um, sales cycle, um, because, because of that, that exact reason, um, you know, like remote and, and, and video conference based sales is just, um, it's just too tough, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, crazy time, just crazy time. Um, did I, I get that though? It's, it's a lot harder to walk away from someone than it is to hang up on them. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Just, and just, just being in person. It, yeah. I mean, in my line of work, you know, I'm selling the pretty expensive houses here in Orange County. And when you're trying to convince somebody to take one, two, three million dollars that they worked so hard and saved up and buy something that like you're the, you know, the buffer between that house and them, yet you lose a lot of that. I don't know. There's just like a, a trust that comes along with being in person with somebody like something that you can just sense that you, like you said, you just can't get it over a zoom call. 
And so it's definitely made my job a lot harder, but uh, they're allowing us to go out. We just have to put the masks on. But even then, like you were saying, you lose some of those nonverbal cues and uh, it's, yeah, it's gotten tougher for sure. Oh, it is. It is. And in terms of like, I have to ask, but you know, did, did it hurt or, or, um, you know, like sobriety versus that situation. Um, you know, like this is an angle I ask a lot because, you know, like I, I, I honestly, as admitted that, you know, like the, um, the impact of, you know, like going from a on-site cause I, 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 I was doing meetings and, you know, like going on-site and hugging people and, you know, like kind of the contact of people to a zoom meeting mm-hmm. took me a while to just get used to that. Um, did, you know, like, did it impact or influenced or, you know, like, um, kind of, you know, like, um, made a bit of a rocky road of your sobriety? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very recently sober. I I've done a ton of stints, the uh, 45 days, 60 days here and there, probably about 10 times. And I'm currently on a day 16 right now. And day, this day 16 for me is after hitting my rock bottom finally. And to be honest, like, it was really weird because I was pretty excited that I had finally gotten to that point. <laughs> and I probably sounded like a crazy person, but I was just like, yes, it happened. Finally, now I can quit for real. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what all those old guys and all the meetings were talking about. Like, you know, I seemed like I wanted to do it and they just talked to me for five minutes and they go, you're not ready. And I'm thinking like, well, no, I don't want to go back through what I've gone through 20 times. I'm ready now. And they're like, you're not ready. I can, I can tell. And unfortunately it's going to take you hitting this bottom, you're gonna have to lose something. Uh, it's gonna have to really hurt for you to take this seriously. And I just kind of brush it off, but they're, you know, fucking right every time. Um, so I'm 16 days after my rock bottom. <laughs> but uh, before that, when quarantine started, yeah, it was, um, there was a definite uh, lack of accountability that was easier to get away with. Absolutely. Just because you didn't have to show up. So they weren't gonna notice you weren't there. You sign on the Zoom meeting, put the video off and just say, you know, I look like shit. So I'm just gonna tune in and listen. And I'd grab a beer and turn on fucking Netflix. And then I'd turn the podcast or not the podcast, but the A meeting off. Just like, yeah, I just, uh, I wasn't disciplined. And I allowed myself when quarantine hit all my offices, everything shut down and all the showings and everything got put on hold while people were trying to figure out what to do with it. And so I just told my wife, Hey, we got an unexpected vacation. So we were going to the liquor store, drinking wine, drinking beer, sitting out by the fire. It was a really fun time for a while until it wasn't. Yeah. And, you know. and, and, you know, like, as we, as you said, and mentioned about, you know, like the hanging up and, you know, like not really caring, not really caring, you know, like in, in a professional, um, on a professional level, you know, like where you can see people being super evasive because they're actually at the end of a zoom meeting. Well, it was pretty much the same from some of the fraternity meeting as well. You know, like, so if you yeah. wanted to phase out, I mean, you know, like you have your phone sitting next to you, you got, like you said, like a second, oh, so a second monitor playing tiger King and you were, you were fucking out, you know, like that was it, you know, like, uh, and, uh, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I might have watched that. <laughs> A little bit too seriously in quarantine. Well, and, and it, no, you're, you're exactly right. And it was, you know, like I said, you know, like it was, um, it was out of a pen. I did one pandemic special, one in French and one in English, and it was out of the English um, one that you know, like one of the guy actually from LA told me about intherooms.com, which I didn't know at all. And the guy said, "Well, 
we've been doing, you know, like people have been doing that for many years because I, one of the thing that I would argue that, you know, like made it so rough is that it was kind of a steep learning curve for most of the meetings to get this running and, you know, like not seeing like disgraceful people, you know, like, and I'm not saying that in a pejorative way. I'm just saying that people would right. just like be wearing probably their f worst fucking clothes and look like shit. And it was, it was tough to be optimistic, you know, like watching 45 <laughs> fucked up people, you know, like it, for, and I'm sorry, you know, like it, it may sound like no, no, super judgmental, it's, but you know, like, it, <laughs> you know, like, shit, that was me half the meetings. Like I didn't have pants on. <laughs> well, it was, it was tough, you know, like, because I, I, you know, like not that there's such a decorum or, you know, like, like such a, like a, a thing, but you know, like you would at least fucking wash before going to a meeting at, you know, like if you had to drive somewhere, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, <sometimes. laughs> you're right. Yeah. But you know, no, like there, right. were, there was something about, you know, like the, the fact that, you know, like they, they were losing control. Some meeting got zoom bombed. And so it made matter even worse. And, um, I, for a while I was worried that, you, and we know well, I know for a fact, because I know people that know people that kind of got lost and relapsed out of this because it was too tough, you know, like, because it was, you know, like, um, a bit inhuman, um, uh, you know, like they, they lost, uh, kind of the warmth of people be having people sitting next to them and, uh, and they just relapsed, you know, like it was, it was too much. And so, um, even though you make, you know, like you make your sobriety your, your top priority, I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, you know, like so many distractions, so much stuff going on, you know, like I have a four-year-old that, you know, like even daycare was shut down and, um, yeah. my day was just a fucking crazy time because you know like my wife and i were essential services the boat both of us and uh, we had that four-year-old running around and you know like you, you you needed kind of your manager's comprehension but at the same time you know like they're like yeah you know like i comprehend but you know like <laughs> can you close yeah, some sales please and it was just nuts um yeah i mean like just like i said you know like crazy times but at the same time i mean just wishing that um things are gonna be um you know like it's when you lose something that you you know like you appreciate it most you know like so um we we took for granted all of these uggs and all that warmth that i described you know, like of having po someone sitting next to you and having the the possibility to exchange and talk you know like i i just hope that you know like we're gonna not ever take that for granted and you know go back to appreciating those but you know like as as precious as it is you know like to have like close encounter exchange with people and um yeah i mean that and, yeah. that, and that's yeah. pretty much the foundation of it all you know like it was one guy bill and one guy bob and they sat down and, yeah. and discussed which is pretty much what we're doing right now but it you know like i I'm pretty much assuming that if it was a Zoom meeting at the t back in the days, it <laughs> history would have been different. You know, like so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think it would have probably worked out. I, but when you said that the first time around, like that's. I mean, I watched that so many times. I didn't like talking for a while. I didn't like sharing, and I think that's probably part of the reason why I failed so many times. But um, I would witness like this this young kid coming in. He's just breaking down and he's crying. He's telling his story and he's so embarrassed and he feels guilty and he let so many people down. And all it took to give him like a little bit of hope or encouragement was just the dude next to him reaching out and putting his hand on his shoulder. 
Yep. It's just like those little moments that like that physical touch, like we're human, like that's a, you know, as logical as we can be sometimes, like there's something to it that you're, we're missing now. Exactly. Uh, I'm for, I'm fortunate that I think the only meeting in Orange County that's still in person is the one right here in Huntington beach. They, they do it at the beach. So it's outside. There's a big breeze coming through all the time. Everyone spaces themselves out and like, you can at least, you know, we're not hugging or shaking hands, but at least there's like the realness there. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I'm, really, I'm really happy that I even have that here too. I, I have to admit, James, that I'm, I envy you big fucking time now, you know, like just like a yeah. meeting on the beach. Uh, I remember maybe I'd say 14, 13 years ago, um, I, I was just out of therapy like a few months. So it, it must have been something like 14 years plus ago. Um, I was in Florida for the 4th of July and, and well, that week and the week before or the week after. Um, and I remember not having a panic attack, but kind of, you know, like just freaking out because there was so much commercial about, you know, like drinking beer and enjoying the party and, you know, like the festivities mm -hmm. of it all. And, and so I just like go online and find an AA meeting and I, I end up like with, with, with a bunch of strangers sitting around a huge table and, and it, when it was time to, share i just said you guys have too many fucking publicities you know like stop telling us about drinking beer you know like i was just yeah. <laughs> i lost my mind a bit and and um everyone, it's everywhere though yeah and so and you can't you can't do anything without feeling like someone's trying to push alcohol into the equation yeah i mean it's the same thing in france i'm sure and are you in france or canada i'm in canada but you know like Okay. No doubt, so like, no, no doubt. It's it's all, and we're in sales, James. Can you imagine? You know, yeah. like the, oh, it, God, yeah. it comes with it. You know, like the let's have yeah. that wine and dine. You know, like which is like the sales preferred expression. It comes with you know, like let's um, let's discuss this over a beer. Let's go golfing with that with that beer talk. You know, like the, it's yeah. always they built it into everyday life. Yeah, <laughs> where like that's a part of you. You're growing. It's like there's alcohol there holding your hand the whole entire way. Absolutely. And you feel like something's missing if it's not. Like so the wine and dine shit. Like even being out of my party phases in college and you know being a little bit more reckless, that's how I fucking relapsed like 9 out of 10 times. I made it, I had control, my life was back on track, work was good, I was a good dad, I was being a better husband. Um my, my temper subsided because it wasn't my frontal lobe wasn't clouded and damaged from being hammered all the time. And I just, my wife would say, I think, yeah, I mean, you feel comfortable? Have just one glass of wine. We go out on a nice dinner date and do that fucked it up so many times Yeah, because it opened the door. It is. And it's just that and, breach, you know, like the, yeah. the, you know, like it's kind of like when the levee broke and, you know, like, it, you know, you get that disaster, you know, um, I mean, for me, it's just like, I, I, even though I knew and know that I had, you know, like, I know that I had to um, find ways because there are different type of people. And, you know, like I, I, I really want to get back to, you know, like your own life story. But, you know, like uh, there are different type of people that you're going to interact with about, you know, like, you know, like refusing that that glass of wine or refusing that beer. And, <laughs> and so there are a few strategies, um, you know, like the one is having already a glass of something in your hand, you know, which prevent that guy from pushing a fucking beer down your, thro your throat. Um, 
And so some, and out of the, all of the people that's going to you know, propose you alcohol, you know, like there are people that fully understand it. There are people that don't understand it, but respect it. And, you know, like I've, I've had a manager that actually didn't do either, you know, like he didn't respect it, didn't understand it and just would just throw the, you know, like the, you know, like the F bomb at me, you know, like, don't be, don't be such a pussy. Don't be such yeah, a, you know, I was like, just going to say that. <laughs> exactly. And it was just like, just have one. Yeah. Glass after yeah, glass after pussy, glass. So every round he would come back. And I, I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm having, I'm having water here. And like, leave me a fuck alone. And at some point I was like, okay, stop, you know, like fucking stop and i had to leave work early that friday because it was like the friday evening you know like everyone's having a glass of wine thing and um i actually had to leave early and say and i remember jumping in my car calling my sponsor i said when does no isn't enough you know like i i said no like 50 times that dumbass just couldn't mm. get it you know like i and and talk with the boss too well, I w you, it, there's like that fine line you have to balance on while staying respectful to him. But exactly, you really, but you have no options. You just have to keep politely saying no. But that's not enough. It, I feel like if it was someone else, you could be like, "Listen, the fuck up." Oh yeah, it, like it, I'm not going to drink. Don't <laughs> ask me. But if you say that to your boss, it might not go over well in the days to come at work. And it's funny because you know, like I, I remember my sponsor mm -hmm. saying, "Well, you've just met one of the people that falls into that category that will never understand," and so. You, yeah. There was no way other than leaving to actually that he, he will not understand, but at least you will be out of the danger zone. Um, and that was it. You know, like he was like, that's it. That's yeah. that, that kind of guy just doesn't get it. And, you know, like you may, you know, philosophically kind of have a reflection on, oh, yeah, but, you know, like it's kind of a mirror. He sees himself as his own. I don't fucking care about his own problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, we got to focus on number one first. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's a very selfish disease, but that's the only way you get better is you stop trying to please other people. Like yep. You really have to turn inwardly during this process and, and do what's best for you. And all right, when I started this, like, in the times in the past when I've been doing it, like it was troublesome for my marriage because like the drinking made me selfish and then I'm, I'm here trying to recover and I, I become just as selfish during that process as well. And it just, it's something that I don't think a lot of spouses will ever understand. Um, and it just, it, it puts even more pressure and emotional stress and mental stress on you, which then in turn makes you want to go find something to self-medicate. And it's like this weird fucking cycle. And it, it is a, a trip. This is a trip. Huge juggling game. It's a huge juggling game. You know, like I have three kids, yeah. two from a previous, um, relation, which are much older. Um, my oldest son is actually an active, um, drug addict right now. You know, like he's, he's deep into it. Um. Yeah. Not too sure about my daughter. Um, they got badly influenced into the mom's side. And so I'm the asshole right now. I'm in the, I'm the ah. fucking monster phase now. So I, and I can deal with mm -hmm. that. I had to talk a lot, but you know, like I can deal with it right now. And uh, as far as my four-year-old, I mean, he's four, you know, like, so it's a, it's a huge juggling game and actually saying, um, I just, just this week, you know, like I got four eight o'clock scheduled recording, one of which is uh, someone else recording that, you know, like I'm, I'm part of this um, 
it's it, my sponsor is 78 years old um he wanted to do like his own kind of version of the zoom meeting um in a therapeutic way because he's always been in you know like in in um um l program and all that and and therapy center um so he's asked me to be kind of in charge of the technology of everything technologic in 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 his you know in his environment so you know like from from taking care of his pc to making sure that you know like the zoom meeting runs smoothly i'm you know like as far as the zoom meeting i'm with another guy but you know like at at the end of the day you know like i got monday tonight with you james and then tuesday and then wednesday and then someone could only on thursday and i said okay and so my wife's like okay see you on the weekend and i was like mm, yeah pretty, pretty much you know like <laughs> yeah and that's another part of the selfish thing and it's like, you got to share because, and it's not even so much like we're going to help people. That's what's cool about it. Yep. But like us sharing our story is what helps us heal. And so in a weird way, it's like we're replacing one selfish habit with the other, but at least there's a positive on the other side when we're doing it this way and not just drinking. A hundred percent. Not only that, I mean, like I know for a fact that not only wouldn't I be sitting right here right now talking to you, James, but I probably wouldn't have, well, not only not have that house, but I, I'd either be dead or be in deep trouble with the law. You know, like I know that for a fact, you know, like I was just about to be either caught uh, on a DUI or, you know, like there was something coming pretty, pretty soon. You know, like my, my, my mindset was super dark and somber and, you know, like it, it wasn't a good picture. And so the path to something tragic happening was just, my guess is a few months away. You know, like I was a few months shy of big time shit, you know, like, uh, so, yeah. you know, I, I, I think I, I got away at the right time. So in good old block, blockbuster fashion, I'm going to rewind James tape to the beginning. I want to, um, I want to, you tell me where do we start that James story? You know, like, you know, like pretty much, um, I'll leave you the driving of that, of that story. And, uh, I'm sitting right next to you. All right. Just uh, cut me off if I start going on too long, but it all started. I think it started, you know, much longer before I started actually drinking. I get it. It really came down to me seeing my dad do it for like every single occasion. And anytime we'd go anywhere, I mean, he used to run to the liquor store. Me and my friends would go and hop along in the car with him and we'd go look at baseball cards and get, candy and do kid shit. But every time it's like every single night he would go and he's picking up a bottle of Southern comfort or apricot brandy, which I'd never even had. It sounds disgusting, but that was like what he did. He kept it under his uh, driver's seat in his car. And so anytime we'd go anywhere, baseball, and I didn't know a lot of the time until I started like reflecting back, you know, there's a time when I was like six years old and I was at T-ball practice and I go to get my dad after practice and he's not there. And I don't see his car and I don't know where he went. And, uh, I would, there's like a bunch of little landmarks on the way to the, the baseball field we used to play at. And finally, like this last parent was about to leave. They're like, Hey, do you need a ride home? Like, can you get home? I was like, I don't remember how it went down. I was just like, yeah, I'll just, I don't know street names, but I'll kind of tell you where to turn. And I got home and cops are there. Mom's freaking out. Sister's freaking out. Uh, 
and he just left me, <laughs> which at the time I thought it was funny. And I was like patting myself on the back, like, oh, bro, you're a badass. Like you got home by yourself at six years old across two cities. And it was like this funny thing to me. And I don't know, like looking back, if I would just, I was just telling myself that. And really I was like, you know, super, like looking back now, I'm fucking bummed that that happened, that like I'm his son, you know, his only son. And that someone could like forget about you. Um, I didn't see him much until I was a little bit older because you know, he had a problem. And I, besides a little bit of yelling here and there, I think my mom tried to do a pretty good job of shielding me from it. I lived in a track where you know, four houses around the corner was her mother and she was retired. She basically would drive me to school, pick me up, take me to you know, music lessons, baseball, soccer, whatever it was at the time. And then my dad's mother who didn't drink either. Like they were both, so I'd never seen him drink anything other than like Diet Coke and water. Um, Diet Dr. Pepper and Diet Coke from my mom's side. And like, that's all they did. Uh, and the husbands were alcoholics. It was like that, this guy gene where the girls got away with it and, you know, didn't have that issue. But every single guy, I mean, looking back now, all the uncles on my dad's side, like they fucked up their lives and it was all related to either pills or alcohol. But um, anyway, we would pull up to, at Christmas. And I remember like just sitting in the car with him because we had to take a minute for him to drink for a while before he walked in. And I didn't like understand how much that stuck with me until that's what I was doing before every single party in high school and college. Cause I thought that's what you just did. I mean, it made sense logically like, all right, well, I don't want to go pay a ton of money for the alcohol at the, the bar at the college party. So I'm just going to buy a shitty ass bottle of vodka, pound that real quick, drink a couple forties in the car, listen to music with some friends. We go and we don't have to spend any money. And it was like that tailgating aspect. I don't know. Do you get, you guys tailgate, right? For like hockey games and everything. Well, it's like you drink, you drink before you go. Exactly. (laughs) That was the, you you know, like you said it, you know, like it was the trick, you know, like the quote unquote trick, you know, like to, because you know, like we would drink, we would drink too much. You know, like, so what was the best trick for it? You know, like someone found like a 60 ounce of cheap, you know, like sometimes like almost like a bootlegging, you know, like white label vodka bottle or whatever that, that what the bottle was that week, you know, like someone would say, okay, it's, um, I don't know, like the creme de mount, which is like the mint thing you know like Ugh. that tastes like fucking yeah. shit but you know like the guy said yeah. well that's all i got uh, this week you know like so 40 bucks and you got that nose. yeah and so <laughs> yeah you we would we would down this and 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 just get to the bar or club hammered already because you know like it, it, it would be too much booze for you know like for 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 a bar tab um and that was the yeah. trick i have to ask you do you remember that first drink you had because mine was actually an uncle pushing me you know like i i i pretended i was picking up the glasses for my parents and that uncle knew about this and and would just um make sure that you know like you know like i had to take a few sip because it would spill and so i i got drunk I was probably that five, six years old, maybe eight, but you know, like it was um, because the class was a bit too full and he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, I got, I got smashed uh, drinking those. Um, Do you remember your first drink? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I still like, I could picture like the old living room and I think I was probably the same age, maybe five or six years old. And I just, my, my dad would always have, he'd be in his little recliner after he came home from work. It'd be dark. I would be about to 
you know, go to bed. My mom would take me up to bed and put me to bed, but he'd always have just like this glass of wine that the wine that he bought was, I don't know if you have it in Canada, it's called Carlo Rossi, but it's cheap as shit. And it comes in like this big glass jug, like something like an old pirate would carry around. So he let me taste it and it, I, well, wine, I still don't like wine that much. Uh, and so I was just like the worst thing on earth to me that was maybe five or six years old, but I remember that. And then, uh, it wasn't until I was probably, I want to say sometime 10 or 11, uh, my parents were gone and my sister's five and a half years older than me. And she had me chug a Budweiser, uh, in front of her friends, like to be funny, but I like kind of wanted to be cool too. And I don't remember feeling buzzed or anything off that. I just remember that incident. And then a few years after that, um, my dad was moved out by that point. My parents had split up and divorced and he had this little two bedroom condo, uh, across town. And I made, I had my friend group over there and then I had my friend group next to my mom's house. And I, I think I was 13 years old and my dad drank and passed out and it was like seven o'clock. It was a Saturday. Um, I remember this because the next day was mother's day. And so we had a couple I think maybe like 10 bucks and we just hopped this little gated community, hopped the fence, ran over across the street and uh, stood outside the local liquor store until we could convince someone to buy us a bottle of vodka. So I guess, I think it might've been like Smirnoff, you know, at the time it was like nine 99. And uh, so we had it and we didn't know what to do with it. Like no one taught us to drink. So uh, we got a couple water bottles and pulled, poured the whole fifth of vodka and split it between the two water bottles. And we just climbed a tree until we were done with it. And then I have some very vague memories of seeing some neighbors, like one of my neighbor's friends, older brother, like came out and he's like, dude, you guys are fucked up. And I remember just like talking shit to him, which he could have whooped my ass in a heartbeat. I remember tripping, falling backwards and hitting my head on a bumper. And I don't think I got knocked out. But that was the last thing I remember. And then the next morning, you know, I, I throw up all over me and my mom and sister are dragging me across the lawn on Mother's Day. And that was like the first time I got drunk. And obviously after that, I, I, don't, I didn't drink for a while, maybe not till like 17 years old. And I started having a beer or two there at high school parties just because I wasn't, I was like kind of awkward. In high school, I got most changed in like the school yearbook. I came in, I was 5'2". And by the time I graduated, I was like 6'1". I had gained 60 pounds and had acne and braces. So I I never really had a lot of confidence because the girls didn't pay attention to me my freshman and sophomore year because I was this little dude. Uh, And by the time I had grown, I was still kind of fucking awkward. So I didn't just, it was a confidence thing for me. I was pretty insecure. And also moving too. when my parents got divorced, coming into a new city, I, I went from L.A. and having like no white friends and being really heavily influenced by like, you know, basketball culture and Snoop Dogg into like this place where there weren't black people at all. And it was all surfers with like bleach blonde hair wearing surf clothes like and I got picked on like big time. And like, I think that really fucked with just my self-confidence. Uh, I know for a fact it did. It, it attributed to the drinking kind of servicing a little bit later in life when I realized there was something I could do about it. And so I, at that point, it just, it never really stopped after 17, it got progressively worse and worse and worse. And at the time it wasn't, it was, it got more and more fun and I, I was allowed to do cooler and, and better shit. 
you know, eighteen. Were there people already noticing that you know, like you you had like that that edge higher in terms of your consumption or you know like you know like um consumption level or you know like do you remember having people just saying oh wow okay james you're you're over the top here no 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 one said a damn thing the whole time it was i was the the funny crazy dude that jumped off the roofs naked and uh you know slammed my hand in the door but was too lazy to drive to a hospital so i'd drink some vodka or some Jack Daniels and get a sewing kit. And everyone would sit there just staring at me while I'm sewing my hand up and just like, just dumb shit like that. Uh, fighting the biggest dude and getting my ass whooped and then laughing and going and drinking with him. I, it just, I don't know. I, I was liked and it kind of all came back around like, okay, people like when I'm fucking nuts. And even when I wasn't drinking, like that's kind of how I coped with transferring new schools. Like teachers fucking hated me. A smart kid, I got good grades, but I was a big distraction because I was constantly looking for laughs. I wanted people to laugh like that was that was validation for me that I was liked. And uh, that's, and, that's and how that was I, your wow to figure all that shit out. But like that's that's how it happened. And you created a kind of a lovable persona, you mm-hmm. know. Since you know, like yeah. you, you you felt like you you weren't lovable or you know like you weren't likable in terms of yeah like that new environment and you know like you clashing so much in that new environment that create you created that fucked up kid that you know like that's marginal marginal but you know like that's what made you i guess popular right yeah i i mean i wasn't i was friends with the popular kids but i also felt for like the outcasts so in high school I kind of blended with everybody, but it almost gave me a little bit of insecurity that like the cool kids knew that I was also part of these not cool groups, like the, the musicians or like, you know, the football people, track people, and even like the actors. And I was in some of like the AP classes. So I was friends with some of the smart kids too, that everyone made fun of. And so I think the drinking part helped me kind of overcome and like, it, it masked it enough to feel comfortable being around the cool kids that drank and partied and smoked weed, you know, many of which never got out of that cycle. And looking back, I wish I would have seen that sooner and realized that like that wasn't the way and that wasn't the path that I wanted to direct my life in. Uh, cause they closed a lot of doors on themselves just thinking that like, Hey dude, I'm good looking and I'm, everyone thinks I'm cool. So life's going to fucking work out for me. And as you know, it just doesn't fucking happen that way and and for most people at least yeah and and that's a pretty much like one of the biggest paradox of that you know like period in our lives you know like um dropping out and and being that marginalized loser is what gets popular you know like and and you're like what how weird is that you know like the the what they would call nerds are so unpopular and you know like i was part of that i should have been part of that group but i couldn't stand it it was too much i was like i liked, Fuck that. I, so, I liked the smart kids and the nerds like i just i had more in common and i felt like i could be myself and not be judged and everyone was kind of fucking weird and goofy and that was just what it was but you were accepted 
Yep. And like around the cool kids, like I had to pretend to be someone else. And often I would need alcohol to be that person. Well, I was the skater boy, James. <laughs> yeah. You know, like so. I was a skater, I was a skater kid too. Because yeah. that's what the fucking cool kids. I surfed, I skated, I snowboarded because that's what you did in Huntington Beach. And you yep. listened to the rock bands. And so you played guitar, drums, or bass. And yep. like you, you, looking back, like, I mean, I have music as a passion now. Uh, but back then it was almost kind of like, I need to do this to be cool. I need to do this to be liked. I forced myself into listening to some of the punk groups that, you know, like I, to this day, you know, like I don't like, I don't like it. Same. You know, like, so <laughs> yeah. DRI and, you know, like all these old groups that, you know, like people were like, those are classic. They're like, yeah. And, but I never, ever got a, 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 you know, like even a, a, um, an appreciation of it. And I was like, oh yeah, 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 let me put that patch on my jeans, you know, like <laughs> or on my jean coat because I'm such a cool dude and anarchy and, and fuck the world and oh, all yeah. that stuff, you know, I like, can, and, and, and that's where, um, <laughs> if you didn't take that hit of a, of a, of a joint or you didn't take that, um, shot mm. of alcohol, um, well, obviously you, you weren't really part of it all. So yeah, it was just, um, but I should have been, I should have been, I should have been the nerd. Um, and I, w I ended up being the, um, the organizer of the graduation after party, which is just a shit show. And it was on my, can you imagine <laughs> it was on my parents, um, country house, um, place you know like so so there was like i think like 60 or 70 tents of people fucked up and people dealing drugs <laughs> in the basement and it was just a shit show but it made me popular you know like it made me yeah. um people dropping acid it was it was a it was a, just a disaster um but yeah, I mean, like I, I, I didn't attend the graduation because of it, because I was making sure that, you know, like people would have the biggest party ever. Um, I don't know how I drew my fucking indication to get there, but no one, it took them so much time to get there. Um, but at the end, you know, like everyone that were supposed to have a, like a party, um, party either got canceled or, you know, like the spot they chose, you know, got closed and so i ended up having pretty much almost all of the cool people and the stoners and you know um crashing my place um yeah but at the same time you know like i would have loved to have a graduation party i would have loved to have um and i mean like the graduation ceremony um but i didn't because it was more important for me to make sure that the place and the band that would play and 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 like the speaker i rented and all of that stuff would be just perfect for the biggest um party ever you know like um yeah i would you know like so so i totally get it you know like it's it's um yeah you find you find your identity at that time and you know like you, you either have like tough skin enough to say well, I'm a fucking nerd <laughs> yeah. and that's going to be it, you know, like, and, and, you know, like, cause I've, I've, I was friend with like you, you know, like I was friend with some of these guys and they would just say, fuck them. You know, like I'm, you know, like I'm, I study, I, I'm in my books. I, 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 you know, like I keep my money and I'm, I'm, you know, like I have huge aspiration for myself and, you know, it was, it, it felt so unpopular that I couldn't engage in that path at all i right. was like I, I didn't get it. 
how fucking just, boring, is that? <laughs> yeah, how boring is that? How boring is that? Yeah. There's time for that right now. We're young. This is like, I'd always convince myself now's the time to go party and have fun. We can always kind of bounce back later in life. Like I would just, so my, my brother-in-law was someone that, yeah, you know, he was a friend of mine and I introduced him to my sister. He was a little older than me, a little bit more mature too for his age. And him and my sister got together and he had a kid. I should, I want to say he was either 17 or 18. And so he worked his ass off from a very young age and he made a lot of money and was, you know, doing super well by the time he was in his like mid late twenties. When in my mid late twenties, like I was still having to move back in my parents' house, trying to figure out what the fuck I wanted to do. But my mindset was, I'm going to get over this eventually. And then I'm going to go make my money and I will have enjoyed and done all that shit while I was young and I had energy and I was good looking. And like, I feel like he was I said, you're going to be like that dude who's 40 and 50 who saved up and waited that long to go retire and then go travel after. And for some reason, I convinced myself that's not the fucking way I want to do it. I don't want to do it backwards. I don't want to go explore all that cool shit when I feel like I'd be almost out of my element being that old doing it. And so I convinced myself like the way I'm doing it's the smart way. Everyone else is dumb. They're going to, you know, go get their master's or go to grad school. They're going to start a job and I'm going to be out here fucking raging, having fun. And then I'm going to catch up and be at the same exact place they are, except I'm going to have this badass life experience that they totally fucking blew by. And I just convinced myself like that was the way to do it. Now I still halfway believe that, but I fucking went way like my life's kind of just getting on track. Like in the last two years, like I'm in my mid thirties and I almost wish like <laughs> I could have capped it a little earlier, maybe like 27 <laughs> jumped into it. Yeah. And I found that it's like you were saying with balance, but it's like, you know, alcoholics a lot of the time, drug addicts, it's fucking all or nothing. And so I have, I, 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 have sure I, I did it to the fullest. I have technology running in my blood, you know, like my father was in it, you know, like he's one of the first graduate in, 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 in our region in Quebec. And, um, I ended up in arts. Can you imagine, you know, like, you know, like pretty much, you know, like, uh, learning how to roll a joint and, and learning how to, um, crash as much as possible i dropped courses that i didn't even know i had you know like it was after one session i remember one teacher asking me what the fuck i was still doing here um it was it was just i was i was uh yeah i was i was not going to college for the right reason you know like i was there just to see how much people partied because the first thing yeah. the the kind of the school board guy told us is that you know like no one would be looking to make sure that you know like would attend courses and i was like okay so no authority party you know like just <laughs> wow that's fantastic and so my guess is that you know like you had very little aspiration in terms of um study yeah i i did well up until that so i went i graduated from high school and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do yet. So I went to community college here. We have like that halfway point where you go and you, you pay a lot less money to get all your prerequisites. So when you transfer to a university, you only have two years of the expense of college instead of four. And so that made sense. I did that and I, I transferred up. Actually, I wanted to be a psychologist for a long time or a psychiatrist. And I just was really fascinated with how the brain works and why people do things that they do, whether it be like nurture, nature, genetics, or just a you know, sucked up way of thinking. And so I went to uh, 
Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And the reason being was like, I kept my grades high. I think I came out of the community college with like a 3.8. That's what my counselor said. You get 3.8 or above, you can go to Berkeley and go wherever the fuck you want. I'm like, all right, cool. That's the goal. I still drank and I smoked weed the whole time, but I, I knew how to take tests really well. And so I didn't have to study that much and I still did okay. And I could kind of make shit up. So if it was a speaking presentation, um, I kind of covered up my lack of knowledge with some humor and some other shit that I've been practicing for the insecurities and being that funny guy. And I got through pretty well. And the reason I chose Cal Poly is because it's a state school and it was the best school I could get into where I didn't have to go write an essay <laughs> to get in. <laughs> and like looking back, that was the dumbest shit ever because one essay was going to determine like the integrity of the school I was going to go to that where I was going to get my degree and affect probably the rest of my life. And it was just such a weird decision at the time. Like looking back, I'm like, dude, it fucking takes you. I don't know. It would have taken me 30 minutes to write like a pretty decent two, three page introductory essay and try to apply to a much better school. I don't know. Maybe shit would have been different, but maybe not. So Cal Poly is San Luis Obispo and it was super isolated. And, uh, you go to Cal Poly to be an agriculture major or an engineer. And so the, like you, from my perspective of just coming out of high school and college, you know, smoking weed, I grew my hair out and I was just like this, I didn't give a fuck cool ass dude in my own head. And I got placed in like this isolated town with like a bunch of nerds in my opinion. And I just didn't click with anybody. Uh, you know, I thought I was better than a lot of people and it was such like an egotistical dumb thing to a dumb way of thinking. And I, I just drank, like I drank and I smoked weed like every fucking night to the point where I could fall asleep and not really feel much. Cause like the loneliness shit was setting in. Uh, it was just far enough away to where I had a girlfriend that I really liked at the time. And it, it would, the relationship was struggling from the distance and I was just in like a really bad place. So my grandpa, I was lucky enough that, you know, he gave me a little help. Um, to be able to afford to go to college. And uh, he's a businessman. He had a business uh, building trailers, which a lot of like the schools incorporated to build like that extra space once everything kind of got compacted or impacted. And uh, they needed space instead of building a big structure. He had this trailer business that would come in, you'd kind of infringe on the football field or the recess area. And like he had supplied a lot of his trailers to a lot of Southern California and he did, he did okay. And so knowing he was a businessman, like I put together this fucking plan because I was drinking so much, like I was failing and there was no way to get out of it. So I had to like create this manipulative story of being like super fucking unhappy and it affecting me mentally in order to like convince them that like, dude, okay, I thought about it. Psychology is not for me. I want to help people, but not only do I have to go then become a doctor to make real money, I have to learn the business side of things as well, because that's really the only way you're going to you know, become a millionaire. And it's just something I had set in my mind. I really wanted to do. I want to have a nice ass mansion. I want a fucking boat. I want the badass cars. I want people to like me for my shit. And it all circles back to the insecurity shit that I had growing up. And I just went and talked to our counselor. He kind of said that he'd excuse me instead of failing me out. They were going to let me withdraw, even though it was past the date. Um, it's where like the sales skills kind of checked in where I was pretty good at convincing people of things and I would just manipulate people and I was so fucking selfish but I talked to my grandpa and I did that's like I want to change my major to business I want to come back to Cal State Long Beach because business is practical and of course I knew he was going to agree with that he thought it was a great idea I came back I took 28 units in one semester transferred to Long Beach State the next for a, a business marketing degree and it like 
every time something really bad like that was was happening, where alcohol should have fucked me over and ruined my life to a certain extent, someone helped me. I, I don't know why. I call it luck. Everyone tells me, oh, it's not fucking luck. Like there's a purpose. There's a reason why you didn't die on your head on motorcycle accident. There's a reason why, you know, you, you had a second chance at college and like just every, I, I could, I've gotten so many fucking second chances and I never kind of got it. And I'm still trying to figure out to this day, why, like, why am I still here? Why have I, why am I still in the position to be so fucking grateful for life when I've been nothing but kind of a shitty, selfish person to everybody as part of this, my, you know, my own being, I don't want to blame it on fucking alcohol. A lot of that was me. Uh, alcohol just amplified it and made me not give a fuck as much. But um, that's what brought me back down here. And then I told myself the reason I wasn't having friends, it wasn't because I wasn't, I could have made fucking friends. I chose not to, but I remember going to a couple fraternity parties and I was like the anti-cool guy because, you know, I was friends with the nerds too. And I was just like, fuck those guys. I'm never going to be that douchebag. I will never join a fraternity. But me looking back and, you know, after being so fucking lonely and drinking myself to sleep every night, I made it a point to one of my friends that was a year behind me in high school was going to now be in the same grade as me going into college because I'd wasted a fucking year. And we joined a fraternity together. And that just opened up like a whole new bag of like drunken fun times for me at the time. And now that I was at the final university I needed to be in, there's a motto here, C's get degrees. And so <laughs> I just kind of made sure I did bare minimum because doing business and getting into marketing and advertising, which is something I was pretty interested in, I didn't need to go beyond that as long as I was smart, creative, and had good ideas that could help market, you know, shit like alcohol and cigarettes. And I can become that bad guy and I'll fucking hate. And it was just a weird pathway that I just... I just like kind of sold myself on, even though I, I didn't even know if that's what I for sure wanted to do. It was just like the best option at the time in my mind. And the fraternity shit is when things got like pretty crazy as far as how much I was drinking and, uh, you know, taking a couple pills here and there. So I didn't have to drink as much and just to feel a little bit different of a feeling to mix it up. And that's when I got my first DUI. It was, uh, back in 2008, and for the longest time, I was in such denial. There was this, my friend drove, he had his van. Huntington Beach is about 15 minutes away, 20 minutes um, from Long Beach State and, and where all the fraternity houses are. And we're at this party and he gets too drunk. And this girl that we knew lives in Huntington Beach and she wanted to go home. So she goes, your friend's drunk. I'm going to drive him home. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not ready to go because I'm still partying. And I was talking to probably a cute girl or something. And she's like, well, I need to fucking get home. Your friend's drunk. Why don't you be a good fucking friend? I was like, cause he has a, he says he's got a van. Like he's got a bed in the back. Let him go fucking sleep and I'll leave it. I'm fucking ready. Like, I know what you're doing. This is a selfish thing. You just want to get fucking home, but you're not going to do that at my expense. And cause I don't have fucking money for a cab. Uber didn't exist yet. And so I said, you know what? Fine. Fuck it. Go find your own ride home. I'll take my friend home. And I had taken a couple like hydrocodones, Vicodin early in the night. I wasn't sure like how much I drank, but I'm pretty sure it was a lot, but there was only one street between the fraternity house and my mom's house where I had to get to. And he lived right on the same street as my mom, maybe two minutes up the road, no cops are over there. So it's like, all I had to do was turn right on Pacific coast highway. That was it. I was on seventh street in long beach. 
And I fucking didn't do that. And if you stay on 7th Street, it turns into a highway. And I don't remember anything up until there was a cop tapping on the window. And uh, he's, I rolled down the window and I realized that I'd just kind of fallen asleep at a red light. And I, I think what happened was that the red light skipped me. I don't know if I was over the sensor, but it skipped me. And I was just like out of frustration, was like, side, put my head on the steering wheel and I was fucking out. My friend was passed out in the, in the passenger seat, so he wasn't there to wake me up. So the cop taps on the window. I roll down the window and he's like, oh, you've been drinking? And I was like, oh, way earlier, but barely, you know, I lied. Barely anything. <laughs> Just it's fucking really late. I was tired and the lights skipped me and tried to start making up the story to get out of it. And uh, I look over and there's like a shopping center. I think there was a Ralph's, which is one of the shopping places here, grocery stores. And he goes, do you know where you are? And I like my brain kicked in. I was like, okay, between Long Beach and between Huntington Beach, there's one Ralph's. It's in Seal Beach. So I got this dumbass, smartass fucking smirk on my face. I go, yeah, I'm in Seal Beach. He goes, bro, you're in Tustin. And I was just like, oh, shit. He goes, why don't you step out of the car, sir? And I, I knew it was kind of fucking on there. But it was like this funny story for me. You know, my mom came and picked me up. They booked, I was super polite and respectful to police officers. And typically if you are and you do what they say, they're nice back. Um, that's been my experience. I can't speak for everybody, but I, it, it was like just this funny thing. Everyone would always tell me like DUIs are super expensive. You're going to pay 5,000 to $10,000. You're going to lose your license for 10 years and all this fucking shit. And it was probably $1,500, which was still a lot at the time, but I could pay that back pretty easily. And I just had to go sit in a class once a week, like kind of like a, a meeting for kids that didn't want to fucking be there. And I'd see a lot of my old friends from Huntington and, and high school. So it just became like this fun little fraternity thing. And I went, you know, went to the court. I got uh, my probation expunged, my whole record expunged, which means that it's taken off. So I, I just, I wanted to be able to have it not affect my college or anything else. So I did what I could legally to try to beat the system on the back end because I'd already gotten caught and everything worked out. And all I did was I, I lost my license maybe for two weeks before they gave me a provisional license where I could go to school and I could go to work. But I worked at a local gym that had gyms all over the place in every city around me. So all I did was wear my work shirt everywhere. Every time a cop stopped me, I said, I'm driving to work. And I had my work shirt on and I could look on my phone real quick and figure out where a 24-hour fitness was. And I got off the hook. And so this, that moment that should have been eye-opening for me back then was like a tiny little inconvenience. And so I kept drinking. Jeez. And, you know, like I, I ask every one of my guests, so like, do you remember um, kind of the first times that, you know, like you would wake up from, you know, like either like a, like a hungover or, or whatever and, and realizing that this can't be it you know like that that life cannot be like like a normal life do you have you know like that kind of that that um memory of starting to have those feelings that you know like this this is not what it should be no because 
all other areas of my life never got affected by it. And, hmm. and so I never had like, I never got punished. It was like, I got to do this and I got away with it every fucking time. And so all the bad shit, all that came of it was just another funny story. I get to tell my friends when I'm drinking. And so it just, it didn't stop till 16 days ago. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, all that lesson taught me was, well, don't admit to a cop that you're drinking. You know, I mean, it had been long enough. Honestly, I, I could have probably passed it off. Had I not fallen asleep, I would have made it home. I, I rationalized it in my head, like the narcissist in me and uh, like the selfish asshole that only cared about himself. Like, fuck, what if I had, you know, fallen asleep while I was driving? If I'd killed somebody, like none of that shit ever crossed my mind. It was like my mind was so warped in, a, in this way of thinking that like, you know, looking back, like I'm kind of getting a little bit emotional right now because it was so fucking selfish. Yeah. Right and, and, and that's, you know, like that's the root of, you know, like that's pretty much the root of it all. You know, like it's, it's all about us and you know, like we, we, we tend to underestimate the, how the, the egocentric part of it has so much repercussion everywhere. Because it's it's just about us, yeah. You know, like so. Yeah, so yeah. you you just said it, James. Like it's when you realize how much you risked so much stuff around you. Um, not only hurting others, but you know, like hurting yourself, and 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 then creating a lot of worrying from your parents. Um, it's when you, when you start to look around that you're like, fuck. You know, like how selfish and egocentrical I was going through that. Dude, I, um, I never thought about it until recently. Like, yeah, I never even really thought about all the shit I put my mom through. And my mom's the reason that I didn't end up like a lot of the kids that were the cool kids at the party that never fucking went anywhere in life. Is because I always had that like helicopter mom that was, I was her, your, her, her baby. And saving so, your ass. Ever, just saving she your saved ass. my fucking ass all that she was there the next fucking morning at four in the morning or six in the morning picking me up from the police station in tustin i got home it was my friend's car so he got a ride out there he didn't tell his parents he got impounded and that was it and the next day i think it was my birthday and so we went out to dinner and of course i fucking drank but my mom drove i was really bummed i just got a dui and i went out to this place in seal beach i forget what it's called it's like a sushi place. I want to say it's Kabuki, but I don't know if that's what it's called. But and I just had a couple beers and nothing crazy. But I was, I don't know, dude. Why, like, why would you drink after that? Why would you be? <laughs> why would you yeah. be a DUI and risk fucking up your whole life? And at this time, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't, you know, know what they were going to say in courts. I didn't know how expensive it was going to be. I didn't know if I was going to lose my job. I didn't know if I was going to, if I was going to risk being able to continue in college. Like, I didn't know. And I thought it was smart to drink the next day. It just, it's so fucked up. It's such a fucked up way of thinking. Um, but yeah, I, I never thought about who I'd hurt because I was this narcissistic, egotistical, invincible guy that nobody could bring down. I survived is, everything. And, and codependence, codependence is, is um, you know, like, you know, like I think people don't, know about it enough you know like the the codependence is you know like my dad would make sure that i would get 
as little hurt as possible. But by doing it, it was actually, I wouldn't say hurting me more, but you know, like obviously padding yeah. my fall, you know, <laughs> for sure. You know, like he was just padding my fall. So one of the, you know, like, so I told you about my son and one of the things that I learned through um, those years of sobriety is that, you know, like I need to be not part of the padding, but I would say a bit part of the hurting. And, you know, mm -hmm. like it may sound our, harsh and, and tough, but, you know, like uh, if I can propel a bit of him at the bottom of his barrel, I'm going to be the first one to give my hand to take him out of it. But I will not, you know, like give him money. Um, you know, like yeah. he, he has to hurt a little or hurt a lot to eventually say, oh, shit, okay. You know, like I, I got enough. Like, like you said, you know, like the, you know, like almost being happy of finding that that spot where you're like, oh, I That's could. That's what thinking about <laughs> this whole time you're talking. I'm just like, yeah, and that I wasn't like, does that a, the word you guys use where you call people surrounding you that that help you out of that situation? You call them enablers. Exactly. They enable you to continue. And so yep. I had enablers surrounding me. Like everyone made excuses for my ass every time, and so I never took it seriously. And it's not their fault, you know. Like when I say no, that, I mean I mean that I in the first. Time, you know, I, like, if, if he needed money, I would just try to trust he's not going to go spend it on alcohol. But I'm not going to not give my son money because what if he is going to use it for food? I don't want to hungry. We're lovable. We're 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 fucking snakes, you know. Like so, so we're yeah. lovable. We're you know, like we 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 know how to uh, emotionally get, you know, like to, you know, like to where we need to get. Um, we're we're just, you know, like flirting and, you know, like we've got all kinds of strategy to be the best fucker ever, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so, so I would, I would wrap my mom and my dad in, in that gift wrap and, you know, I could, I could cry on command. I could, I could, you know, like, um, sweeten anything that I would have done. I could, I could pretty much do everything, you know, like, so, so mm -hmm. I would lie, bluntly lie through my teeth in, incorporating some crying in there. And, you know, like the, the, oh, you have no idea. How dare you blame it on me? But, 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 you know, like that old shit where mm -hmm. at the end, making sure that the person, you know, either accusing, I, 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 I have a memory of, my my two kids are born so my daughter is super young or is it just my son anyways you know like i'm in the car um and my girlfriend at the time um just like you're you're stone again da 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 da, da and i fainted while driving my car okay. so so you know, like, uh, so the car, so I was supposed to turn left, obviously, you know, like the car's still on drive. It, it, it's the curb. And all I remember is, you know, like kind of losing consciousness while I was turning left and then being wake, waking, I'm being wakened by, by, by hard slaps on my face, you know? Like, so I wake up, I'm like, no, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Put the car back on drive and, and go home. Obviously, you know, like huge commotion, 
for fuck's sake, I hope so. You know, like huge commotion and you know, like everyone, you know, like my girlfriend at the time was is just losing her, her shit. You know, like what the fuck just happened here? And, and, and you could have heard everyone. And I remember yeah. the next morning driver, driving her to work, explaining food poisoning and the lack of sleep and blame it all on these two things yeah. to a point where I got so much empathy from from my then girlfriend that you know like it was all about okay I get it you know like relax and like stop crying you know like you, you know like you can have a joint and you know like have a beer you know like to <laughs> just you know like to to relieve the tension and I understand and you know like I could I could just seduce my way in and get so much empathy that people would just fuck for for God's sake I I I sure hope he gets a drink you know like to relieve the pressure because it's so much you know like which is just like such a prick move you know like who the fuck yeah. needs you know <laughs> you know but i know exactly what you're saying which is like you know like we 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 have a radar for enablers we have a radar to find the weakest spot of everyone so that you know like when when it when it comes down to trouble um we just hang on to these people and you know like lie our way out of the troubling situation and you know yeah. um it's just, yeah, I mean, like, it's just bad, you know, like, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, like, again, you know, like, that's why, you know, like, there are, you know, like, there are Al-Anon group, um, which right. is precisely for, you know, like, helping the family and people close to addicts and, 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 and just to make sure that, you know, like, they don't fall into those traps because they, they pretty much hurt as much as the full-blown active drug addict. You know, like, because they don't know what to do. And, you know, like, the answer is there's nothing they can do. You yeah. Know, like, I think it's hard for people. Absolutely. Because, like, my, my my dad died. Um, we're coming up on four years here. And he died 20 days before uh, my second son was born. And I, I didn't know that that had nothing to do with me for a long time. Um, but I was so fucking mad at him because I always thought that if you had something to look forward to that I, I've always heard people hang on for like those milestone moments, like your hundredth birthday or, you know, someone being born or a wedding or, or an event that you just have in your mind, you're going to make it Two people survive. So it's like, I was like, okay, cool. He's going to, he's going to see my second son being born and he died before that. And I blamed the fuck out of him. I still resent him you know, for it, even though he's, he's gone and I never got that closure. But, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize till like Reese, I still don't fucking get it. I'm not going to lie to you. I I'm still mad about it. I'm so very upset that he couldn't wait 20 more fucking days because I kept replaying in my head. Like it's, I'm his only son. And right now my first son and now my second son are the only other two boys out of our big family. That's the only people that are going to carry on my last name, his last name that he gave me. Yeah. And that motherfucker didn't want to just stick around for 20 more days to see my kid. It hurt. Yeah. And I didn't realize how selfish of a disease. And like, you know, like I said, just, I still don't just get listening it. to it, uh, it sounds, it, 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 you know, like it almost sounds shocking. You're like, what? You know, but, but I, I get it. You know, like I, I totally understand. But I, I, yeah. at the same time, it's like, you know, like, I don't you, know. You, Exactly. You're like, I'll, I'll work through it. You know, I'm this, I'm very early in recovery. Oh, and even for sure. Weeks, I've learned so much shit about myself and other alcoholics <laughs> that like, 
I, I know I'm going to get there. I'm going to come to terms with it. I'm actually going to take off work um, on Thursday and drive out. We have a family camp spot out in the middle of the desert where everyone used to go meet up and drink and shoot. And that's where he spread his ashes. And I'm just going to, I'm going to go out there by myself on Thursday and try to get some closure out of this. And, you know, just kind of bring the big book. Do so some readings bring me, and, and just bring kinda, me James to that. Um, please bring me to the, 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 moment that you 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 so cherish that you know like you found finally found or tell me about about a bit about the relapses that you got you know like where you would make promises and not be able to keep them and and then just bring me to the that 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 day 16 days ago all right so a little quick mini background on that the one good thing my dad did instill in me was that i could do anything i wanted He was that dad that's like, yeah, you want to be president? You can fucking be president. You want to go be an astronaut? You want to be a professional baseball player? You can do any of that. So being this like really insecure kid was kind of weird because I, I knew that no matter what I put my mind to, I could accomplish it. And so with alcohol, it got real tricky because it's the only thing that I've never been able to do without the help of someone else. And I wasn't okay with that because I'm fucking coolest guy, the smartest guy. Uh, the most athletic and like I was just the shit. So there's no way that this dumb fucking bottle is going to outsmart me or beat me. And so I came up with the craziest ways that I know I started telling the story. Finally, I started sharing it and I, I felt like I was like a rock band because everyone's head around the fucking rooms, nodding along in agreement. And I was just like, Oh shit. Okay. I'm not the only one that thought that I could beat this thing by outsmarting it. You know, I did dates. Uh, I'm only going to drink on these holidays. I'm only going to drink wine because I don't like wine. So I'll never get fucking drunk. And I just, I tried absolutely. I'm only going to drink on weekends, you know, all the normal shit that people yep. try. Uh, Brown alcohol makes me sick. I'm going to try the, yeah, you know, like I'll stick with beer. <laughs> I love IPAs. IPAs was, that was my drink. I just, I loved the taste of a really hoppy, heavy double and triple IPA. And also you had one or two and you already caught that buzz. And for me, and for I'm sure a lot of alcoholics, if you're not going to catch a buzz, what the fuck is the point of drinking? Yep. Like, you know, it tastes better than beer, a lot of shit. So if I'm only going to have one or two, I'm just going to have a fucking Sprite. Yep. And so it's, unless I was getting a little buzzed, but I never got it. Like, why did someone just have one drink? To me, it sounded like a waste of money. Like, especially in Orange County, you go to a, a nice restaurant, like a, a cocktail is 16 to 22 bucks. Why the fuck would someone pay that much money for one cocktail? I do not understand that. And so, well, now knowing that the, the people that pay that amount of money are fucking multimillionaires, it makes a little bit more sense. Because uh, I definitely wasn't there when I was trying to go out and be a part of something else because I wanted to belong. But um, most recently, uh, me and my wife met. Um, she introduced herself on Facebook. I've known her since I was in middle school when I moved to Huntington. Um, this is still when I'm really insecure, really short for my age, and I was young for my grade. So I was small and then like small on top of being small from those two things adding up to that. And I, I kind of remember her. She was like the, one of the cool kids and she smoked cigarettes in eighth grade and I was in seventh grade and she had pink hair. But she was part of that group that I admired at the time. So finally, she looks normal now and not like super edgy and like she likes to get in fucking trouble. But she messaged me back in 2013 and straight up said, who are you and why are we not dating? And I was like, oh, okay, I like that. She's very forward. And so we started dating and legitimately, I think we maybe spent one day apart in the next eight months. And her and I drank 
together like crazy. I, all the fucking time we would drink till three in the morning, go out. She'd have to go. She was a yoga teacher and she, she'd have to go teach a 6am class and she'd we'd just keep drinking. She'd go teach a drunk. And then we'd come home and I'd miss work. I'd make sure to schedule my appointments as a real estate agent. I had full control of my own schedule. I'd, I would just make that day available for myself to fucking sleep in. We'd smoke a little weed, eat some pizza, nap all day, have sex all day, and then wake up and I'd play video games. We'd go in the jacuzzi and my, com- my condo complex and life was just fucking rad for a while. I mean, it was shitty looking back, like that's not a way to live. But at the time, like that was so fun. And the drinking masked like the, the feelings that we had for each other. So it was like this really fake fucking facade of, of a great relationship. It was, it was really unhealthy and we were infatuated with each other. And, you know, I had a lot of abandonment issues from my mom having to work so much because my dad was an alcoholic and got laid off from his job and my grandma's raised me. And that was an issue that played into it. I was, I, I held on to so many broken relationships that I shouldn't have. And I would use those manipulative skills to get someone to stay. I did that with my wife. And, um, so eight months into us being together, we like, we like each other on the surface deep down. If we had to spend, you know, a couple months sober, we just wouldn't have been a good match. It's nothing bad about her. It is some bad shit about me because I was not a good husband. I was super fucking selfish. I was really harsh verbally. Uh, I had trust issues from a previous relationship and also from my parents not really being around. And, uh, I just wasn't in, I wasn't in a place that I should have gotten married. So we went to Las Vegas and in Las Vegas, the way it works is when you buy like a cabana to drink at, or you get a table at a club, that money goes towards the alcohol you have to spend while you're at that table. So we just go out to the pool. There's like this little floating bed thing. And I was like, all right, how much for that shit? They're like, oh, 500 bucks. And I was like, whoo, that's, that's a lot of money. And they're like, oh, but it, it's your bar tab. And I was like, so I get to drink $500 of alcohol. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> and it was really fucking fun. And we drank all of it and probably then put some shit on a credit card after that. And we're absolutely wasted. We did not nap. We stayed up all night. And at some point, the word marriage got brought up. And it was like the sun was coming up and we're just like, fuck it. Yeah, I love you. You love me. Clearly, it doesn't. I don't know why we wouldn't get married. <laughs> looking back, it's like the dumbest shit ever. Like looking back now, I can name like 50 things in a millisecond that would substantiate a great reason to not get married. But I was so caught up in my own head and just so narcissistic. It's just it's what I wanted. And so no one was going to tell me not to. And I remember I called her dad and he was like, oh, okay, you sound drunk still, but okay. I like you. She called my mom and my mom said, no. <laughs> wow. And like, and obviously I didn't listen. She didn't listen. Cause at that point, both of us kind of had that control issue. Like who the fuck is anyone else to tell us what to do or to, and it was almost like it almost fueled the desire to want to get married even more. And little did we know, it's like a big process. So we started sobering up. We had to go find rings. We had to go to the courthouse and get registered. And then we had to go back to the church. And it was like this really long thing. And we look, oh my God, our wedding pictures are ridiculously fucked up. Like we look like, and we weren't touching drugs, just alcohol, but we both look like we had been on like a heroin bender, like eyes sunken in, tired as shit, black circles. In the nicest Vegas clothes we have, like it looks so fucking trashy. But like... I didn't care, like, because we had like that quote unquote love thing. Um, but we were fighting a lot. I was playing in a band and I was drinking a lot. 
I think she had some trust issues too. Uh, I don't want to speak on her behalf, but we, we both brought shit into the relationship that we should have healed first. And, um, it was just really vicious. We'd accuse each other of dumb shit, um, and fight, you know, first verbally and it, it got physical a couple times. And a lot of the times it's on both sides where, you know, I, I was just mad at her. I'd go to the, the neighborhood bar and there's like some 65 year old chick sitting there. And I wanted, when I drink like that, I wanted to be alone. I wanted to go play sad music on the jukebox, take my shot of Jack honey and drink my IPA and just kind of fucking sit and, and like revel in my depression. And I liked it at the time. And a lot of people you know, drink to escape, but sometimes I would drink to kind of feel more because if I was sober, I don't know. I, I had a lot more of like a logical brain that I, I liked getting to that dark spot because I felt comfortable there. And, you know, she'd see me talking to some old ass lady and I had no interest in talking in, but all she knew was that she was supposed to come to my house. And because I started drinking, I left her hanging and I was out choosing alcohol over her. And she would just walk up to me and slap me across the face. And then she's the bitch, right? She's the bitch that just slapped me in public and embarrassed the shit out of me. And I'm just like this drunken, narcissistic asshole thinking that it's her fault. And it was, it just became like this really bad cycle. So three months after we get married, we get pregnant. And so it's not even year one of us hanging out and knowing each other. And she's pregnant with our first son. And, uh, she can't drink. I went sober here and there a little for her. The fighting didn't stop, you know, hormones kicked in and I wasn't there to support her needs as much as I didn't get it. To me, it was just like, okay, all I know is you're just being a bitch. And I didn't even try to be compassionate. Like the narcissistic asshole in me just thought that again, it's all her fault. It's always everybody else's fault, you know? And like looking back, shit, I don't know where we'd be if, if I had maybe tried to be a better man at the time. But um, I'm still thankful though, because I wouldn't be where I'm, I am now. And right now, like the last couple of weeks I've been sober, I've been more optimistic about where my life's gonna go. And so it's hard for me to be mad at, at anything that happened because one little change and it might've taken a different direction. Um, yeah. And I do have two beautiful kids. Now, the marriage, unfortunately, is gonna, not stay. It's not going to stick. We both made a choice to just split up uh, permanently. And it just, it is what it is. Um, I try to look at the good in that because I'm going to be a better person for this. And like, that was my rock bottom. We went out to the river a couple weekends ago and things were really fucking good. Like the couple weeks leading up to that trip. And we were both drinking again. I was working all day on my phone. She knew I had to work because COVID hit and we lost about 80 or $90,000 and, and canceled escrows from people not being able to get a loan because their business shut down. And so I'm fucking working my ass off trying to get us money. So we don't have to lose a house or switch. She doesn't have to go back to work and we don't have to take the kids out of school. And even at that time, my mom was already helping financially because, you know, drinking it kind of, it, it did and didn't play a role because the drunkest year of my life, I happened to make the most amount of money. I made two, but I, I wasn't drinking for that, that while wow, making a lot of money, I'm having fun and celebrating anymore. It was like, I'm not making as much money. What's wrong with me? And I'm drinking because I feel like a piece of shit. And my wife would tell me that almost every day. And I just got really sad and bummed on myself. So we got in, in one last like big blowout fight. Um, we were physical with each other, but like it came to a point where 
it could have stopped there and maybe things might have worked out. But she wanted to go home and I, I was really set on us staying out. You know, we were with all of her friends. I didn't want to leave and be embarrassed about what had happened. And my son's birthday was in two days. And that was the reason we went out to the river. We wanted to celebrate his birthday. And uh, I was just like, dude, I'll, I'll go to a hotel or I'll send you guys to a hotel. I'll stay in the, the RV and let's just make it so this our son doesn't have to go home and not do this fun shit for his birthday. And she's just like, nope, we're going to get home. I want you to move out. And things just kind of in my mind started spiraling. And I just kind of I always think like she's never really understood this alcohol thing. She claims she loves me, but I've never seen that because anytime anything has ever happened, all she does is threaten to divorce me. So I told myself that next morning, you know what? Like, fuck this. I'm going to see if she really cares. I'm just going to go fucking drink as much as I fucking can. And we'll find out. So I went to, I grabbed a couple of beers out of the cooler. Four. I went and chugged them at a table right next to the bar. Then I went up to the bar and I said, I want four double shots of Jack Honey. And so the lady, I don't know why I was clearly already a little buzzed from the four drinks. She just straight up put it in the glass and it two seconds later was gone. And I walked back and I got four more beers and walked back to my little table. And like, it just, it sounded like a good idea. I told myself I was going to pretend that I was going to kill myself. And like, it was so, it was really dumb. It was that manipulation, narcissistic shit you're talking about. And what I thought in my head was going to happen was she knows where the bar is. There's only one bar there. She's going to have her friends watch the kids real quick, come over and find me and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're this sad. And like, how fucked up? Like it's, it's embarrassing. And it's not because I have a feeling that this will help somebody, but it's, it's hard to fucking look back and be like, dude, that is like the most little bitch thing I could have done. It's so selfish to just drink and leave my wife to watch our two kids while I'm out just getting wasted to play some dumb manipulative game to just see if she cared. What I should have done is I should have let go of that relationship a long time ago, but I had abandonment issues from my mom not being around and I didn't, I would do anything to make sure that relationship stayed together and my kids didn't have to experience two parents being separated while they grow up. Even though I was creating a situation that would have been far more dysfunctional for them to be in. And that's just kind of like a realization I've, I've had more recently and why I'm, oh, I'm totally okay with this happening the way it's happening because it is going to be better for my kids. Um, I still get to see them all the fucking time. I spend a lot of time with them. Every time they're with her, they ask about me on a daily basis. And because so, I was an involved dad and I was a good dad, I was just a bad husband. And um, so I, instead of her coming to look for me, she took my uh, suicide threats far more seriously and called the cops. Well, first she called my mom. She goes, what do I do? And my mom had talked to me and I kind of told my mom the same thing uh, because I knew that they were talking at some point. And so the only way that the story is going to check out and she's going to believe me is if my mom believes that too. So they both are thinking I'm actually going to kill myself. And I'm like, I'd start thinking, well, you know, I have a gun in the car. We're camping out in Arizona. Obviously I didn't want to kill myself. I didn't touch the gun. There was a highway right next to us. I could have walked in front of a truck. I could have done a lot of shit. And then I thought, you know what? I'll just like lay, lay in the sun. It's 110 degrees. And, um, 
that that'll be like the trick. That'll be the way I'll go is all, I know I'll overheat. And eventually from drinking so much alcohol, my lungs are going to get up. My body's already going to be struggling from the heat. And that's, oh, that, that's perfect. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, no, because what if I really fucking fall asleep? Then I'll actually die. I don't want that. So I found like a nice little grass patch after I freaked everybody out. And I laid down in the shade and kind of passed out until I heard this lady go, dude, are you all right? Are you, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just buzzed. Like, it's fine. And she's like, you're pretty fucking out of it. I'm going to go get help. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm like, don't. Don't get help. I'm fine. <laughs> Don't do like, that. There's enough so people I, I, worrying I, I, here. Yeah, I like. I didn't want that. I didn't want that. I just wanted the attention from my wife, and I just wanted to see if like she gave a shit. And it was the dumbest fucking way to go about that. But that's that's what I was trying to do. And so when I see her go in the bar, I try to stand up and I try to go run and hide somewhere else to where no one could find me. I'll sober up, and you know, I'll just make her worry. And either she's gonna be pissed at me or she's gonna. I'm gonna see that she cares except I couldn't walk. <laughs> so I stand up and took like a half step and just crashed into some bushes. And I'm like, it hit me like, Oh fuck, this is going to get real in a second. <laughs> and so then she goes and calls the cops. My wife had already called the cops and now we have the location and I'm like, I'm going to get in fucking trouble. And I didn't think about that. Cause I thought I'd like thought all this shit through and I was so fucking smart. And then the cops come and get me and now, now real, now the wheels start spinning about how bad this can get. It wasn't supposed to happen that way. And I, I was, uh, I could go to jail. I could lose my uh, real estate license. I could, I don't know. I don't know. I could lose my family for real now. Cause this shit just got so fucking real. And then I said, you know what? Fuck it. I don't care anymore. Take me in, do whatever the fuck you want. And like, I was crying, just, just done. Like I just didn't give a shit. And obviously being sober, I would have not been thinking or talking like that. Um, and so the cop comes, talks to me, and I was just like, yeah, we're fighting. And it, it was like one of the first times that it got like really intense in front of our children. And my, my oldest was turning five and he's a smart kid and he knows. And so I was just really embarrassed and I've always been a pretty honest person. And I told the cops like, yeah, I was drinking last night. Me and my wife got into a fight. You know, she kicked me and I slapped her and he goes, wait, what? And I was just like, yeah, we got physical. And then she wanted to go home, which is why I went out here to drink because I didn't want to have to leave my son's birthday. And he's like, well, she didn't tell me that part. And I was just like, oh, he's like, she just told me you guys got in an argument. And then so he goes, well, I'm going to put you in the cop car. Now I have to go back and talk to her. And so I'm in the car. And he comes back and he goes, look, if this was California, you guys could both choose to not press charges and this would go away. But in Arizona, um, we got to take one you in. And I was the drunk guy and we had two kids there. So it was me. And I, uh, in the cop car, I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to get charged with domestic violence. And this is getting really, really real. So I, um, get there and I'm just in that drunken state of not giving a fuck anymore. And so they decide that we're not going to try him. We're not going to put him in a jail cell and make him go to court. We're going to send him two and a half hours South to a mental institution in Yuma, Arizona. And I convinced the driver of the van <laughs> to give me my phone so I could make a couple calls and plan on getting picked up by either mom or my wife. And I was doing the whole enabler thing. And my wife's like, no, 
I, I left and I went home. And it, and in my mind, I was just still being so selfish. You fucking left me. I would never leave you if you went to jail. And like, you know, it's not even crossing my mind of how shitty of a position I put her in. The only thing that was registering being hammered was, I can't believe she's abandoning me. Well, there, guess what? I have my fucking answer now. She doesn't give a shit. And that's was just like set me off. And so I just started like kind of verbally fucking with everybody, the cops and just mixing up stories. And just, I was almost like playing some weird psychotic game with everybody. But, um, my mom, I told her I'd get my phone back in the morning at some point, And, uh, they checked me into this mental institution and, uh, that was the rock bottom for me. It wasn't the fight with the wife. It wasn't the fact that if no one would have seen me wedged between a van and some bushes that I probably would have died from heat stroke or exhaustion. The, the moment for me was when I'm stripped of everything and I'm put in a small cell and then I get a psych evaluation and they deemed me fine, but you know, I'd had a little bit of time to sober up and I knew what to tell people and say what they wanted to hear. And they're like, well, you're talking about killing yourself. And I was just like, I told them what I told you. I was just like, I had a gun in the car. There's a reason I never touched it. Also, you know, I grew up shooting firearms. Um, very, you know, that cowboy kind of shit here where we went out to the desert and shot. I learned firearm safety and I have a massive respect for, for guns. And so no matter how drunk I got, no matter uh, how angry I was anytime, I've never touched one out of anger or um, just being wasted. Just cause it, it was like my, that was my limit. I would just, it's like part of my code that I just would never break no matter what. Um, and so they put me in this big room and there's probably like 20 people in there. Uh, a couple people are restrained. Um, there's people banging their heads on the wall. The dude next to me under his blanket, he's masturbating. There's a white supremacist guy, white supremacist guy screaming at, you know, Yuma, Arizona is real close to the Mexican border. So there's a lot of Hispanic people that, that are sitting there. And at first I kind of defended him and I was bigger than him. Like I'm a kind of a big dude, I'm like 6'1", 200 pounds, like pretty lean. And so I was just like, dude, you can't fucking talk to people like that. And the guy looks at me, he's like, he doesn't get it. Like just watch him for 20 minutes. And I see him just talking crazily. Um, have you ever seen the movie Glass? It's about like those superheroes where the guy has the multiple personalities. Yep. Yeah. It was like that, except this one dude going back and forth, having a conversation with himself, laughing, then crying, and then having these anger outbursts. And it freaked me the fuck out. Like they thought I was deemed one of these guys. And there's people just like laughing hysterically to themselves. Like it's like the movies. I never, ever, ever want to go back to a place like that. I always thought the movies exaggerated it to sensationalize the emotion that you were feeling when you were watching it, like dramatic effect, but it's actually worse. Like in person, oh, exactly. Re reality. It's, it's real. And it's worse than that because you're not watching some screen with actors. This shit's happening to real fucking people who did so many drugs or have a legitimate mental illness that never got designated. So they just started using or, I don't know, but it fucking fucked me up. They let me use the phone and I was, I called my mom, of course. And I was like, Nancy, you have to come get me the fuck out of here. Like this is, I'm sorry for all this shit, but I need to get the fuck out of here. 
and I need to clean my shit up and just not ever like, it was like just that eye opening moment. And it, it kind of bums me out that it, like it wasn't my kids. It wasn't my wife and it wasn't the potential of losing my job or it wasn't potential of possibly going to jail. It was the fact that like, it was, it was again, a selfish egotistical thing, um, a narcissistic thing that made me decide that I just wasn't going to drink again. And I was serious about it. My mom was supportive. And she goes, I, I called Hogue. Yeah. I gave me insurance information. We're going to check you in when you get home. And I was totally unfucking. I said, whatever I need to do this time around to make sure I never drink again. And, uh, I started thinking about work and everything else and we're in debt and we have a house. My wife doesn't work. And so I ended up checking myself into an outpatient program where I, I only have to give three hours a day from nine to 12 in the morning. And I, I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking weed because every time in the past I'd stopped drinking, I'd use weed to still numb the thoughts and the active mind to be able to go to sleep. I never learned how to just process uh, my thoughts or my emotions or any of it. And so first time, first couple of days, oh, shit, dude, I, I slept two hours a night for the first week and a half, maybe. And I, I knew it was coming. You know, I've gone through the withdrawal thing enough to know, okay, well, night three and four are going to be when I finally stop having the night sweats. I'm going to have anxiety, try to meditate, do some yoga and shit. Like you, you're obviously you shouldn't go get Xanax or anything. Um, but like I planned it out. I mapped it out. I knew how to deal with the withdrawal from doing this shit so much. And so I got through it and I didn't skip a beat on work. And, uh, over the past two weeks, I've actually done my job better than I have at any other point in my life, which is awesome. I'm thankful that a lot of the clients didn't either didn't notice or they just thought as long as he still does his job, I feel for this guy, I'm going to let it carry on. I think there was some of those people because there's people that I have as clients right now who have been close enough to me and some of my friends that I used to drink with to, to know that I, I push a little far, but I'm getting my job. And so I always have that saving grace. Yeah. He might be crazy. Yeah. He might be drunk, but he's not coming to work drunk and he's, he's getting shit done still. So yeah, maybe not my business. And, uh, so I, yeah, I got home and which you, we need, right? You know, like, the, you know, like there's something about it that, you know, like we obviously need, um, yeah. you need, you need these people at the same time, you know, like you need these people, but you need, you know, like these people to actually tell you that you're fucking up. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think I, I, I'm pretty good at reading people still. I think I lost a pretty big listing. Um, I was very open about this. I immediately shared on Instagram. Um, yeah, I think you probably saw that post, right? Yep. I, I got a lot of hate from people that, you know, were on my wife's side about things. Uh, I got a lot of support, but I got a lot of hate. And I, I, put, I said, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm sick of fucking, it was why I told the cops and me and my wife got into a fight. I was sick of fucking covering my ass. I was sick of having to lie my way out of shit. And I'm just like, whatever is going to fucking happen, it's going to happen. If I'm going to lose business, that's it. I'm done fucking lying to myself. And it was like that moment. And I probably lost a pretty big fucking listing. But again, like you said, I had those people that probably knew what was going on. And uh, if they listen to this, I know they follow me on Instagram. If they listen to this, like this is me just saying fucking thank you. Because had I had the rug pulled out from under me at that point in my life, two and a half, three weeks ago, uh, I don't know. I, maybe I wouldn't have, maybe I wouldn't have taken the path I did. Maybe I would have relapsed. So, um, 
yeah, it's important to me if that person's listening and if they, they know who I'm talking about. But uh, life went on. Life went on. And um, recovery has kind of opened my eyes to some of the real fucking toxic shit that was going on in my relationship. And I've come to terms with a lot of shit. And I'm super optimistic. Again, that's one of the good things that my dad instilled in me was like, there's a silver lining. He could be getting out of detox after having a seizure, almost biting his tongue out. And he's going to tell you how beautiful the day is. <laughs> it's kind of weird and fucked up, but I'm so glad that that trait got either by nature or nurture got passed on to me. Um, but that was it. I, to be honest, and I haven't had to even think about how I'm not going to drink. It just hasn't been a question. There's just zero desire this time, which is fucking awesome. And you need to always remember this, you know, like this, this fucked up story, you know, like that's the, yeah. the that's you know, like the, the, this is the, yeah. the first time I've told it to a, a public platform and it's not easy, but I, I think that's how I'm, I'm going to get through it this time. Right? You know, my whole thing is 45 to 60 days and I'm about 30 days out from that time period where I think life's good again and I could maybe have that drink. So I know I got some work to do, but I think sharing this story with people is going to help me get there and move beyond that time frame this time around. I just, I don't even want to say, I think I know what's going to happen. Like I, I know I'm, I just, I'm not going to drink it. And it's not just like me saying that to convince myself, there's just the brain changed something switched. Something was different this time. And it's just, I'm happy that I'm going to be sober for the rest of my life because I'm such a better person when I am. And, you know, like you sound like you, you know, like you're, you're, you're exactly to the path that, you know, like you, you should be, which is like, Dude, you know, like, um, yeah. I wasn't very faithful, um, not faithful in that sense, but faithful is in like believing in God and, and it was such, that's such an important part of AA. So I was always trying to be like, well, I do believe there's a higher power. There's something like, you know, even if it's just like the magnetic field that a heart produces, or like there's energy, like there's just some other shit that's going on. But I, I tried to open my eyes to, to God a little bit. Um, I never didn't think he existed. I just didn't have proof. And I was always a very logical person. But dude, that divine intervention shit is fucking real. I started being open and the weirdest shit, the most absurd coincidences have been happening to me, leading me down a path of finding answers I've been looking for, meeting people that I would have never met that are helping me in a way that I needed at that exact moment in time when I found them. And it's just like, it's tripping me the fuck out. But it's almost just like, you know, God being like, dude, all right. So you're, uh, you're a little skeptical here. I'm going to do something that's so fucking random and statistically impossible that even your dumbass is going to believe. <laughs> and that's kind of what's been happening. And so the, the more it happens, the more my eyes open to it, the more it keeps happening. And I'm just like, fuck me. You know what? It's time to surrender. And, uh, that's just what I've been doing. Like I'm trying not to control the influence or outcome of everything in my life, which I've always done. That's with the manipulation. And it's like this weird paradox. And it's, you know, the guy that runs this recovery center, he was, would always tell me it's like the best action is inaction and i just like it felt like what what that makes literally zero sense you sound fucking insane <laughs> and then, <laughs> then it started slowly making sense uh just sometimes when you feel like i mean because look at us look at who we are every time we've tried to do something right it's gotten fucked up 
and we've shit on it and made it worse. So, I mean, he kind of has a point. Maybe just don't do anything and let someone else pull the reins for a little while. And that. And at some point, work. you need it's to give yourself a fucking me. break. Yeah, you need to give yourself a fucking break as well. You know, like the, yeah. the, the stopping using is a major deal. So, yeah. the, you know, like the only thing I could say is, you know, like the the give yourself, you know, like the tap in the back, not too much. You know, like not the bragging type, but, you know, like at least give yourself the tap in the back that you're actually probably um, going and starting the biggest journey of your freaking life. You know, like, and, yeah. and this, just this. It's just, exciting. You know, like it, just, it's really fucking exciting. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, trying to convince myself, oh, shit's going to get better. And deep down, I'm heartbroken inside. The last two weeks of my life, I felt more positivity and I felt more optimistic about where I'm going to be in 10, 20, 30 years than I've ever had in my whole entire life. And it's just, it's weird. It's weird to tell people that because people still message me on Instagram. Um, you know, I'll post inspirational quotes, shit that, I, I, that resonates with me at the time. And I think, you know, I got a pretty decent sized following and it's going to help somebody. And I get a lot of people go, oh, are you struggling? You're okay. I go, Dude, I know this is going to sound fucking crazy, but no, I've never felt better in my life. They're like, what? You just went through all that shit. And I was like, I know it sounds fucking weird, but I've never felt better in my life. <laughs> and it's just because I know that like that drinking is behind me. And there's, there's and literally it is, only one way to go from here. It is up. And it's, yeah. it's fucking and it, exciting. It, it is. This is, you know, like, the, again, you know, like this is, you know, like I, I, I tend to, you know, like some, someone asked me, um, you know, like what are the, you know, like the most important things when, when you, when you stop using, you know, like the first one will be, you know, like at least find someone that you can, that you can share with, with confidence and intimacy, you know, like one human being that you can actually spill your gut, do whatever the fuck comes into your brain and spill yeah. it out. Some of, some of these things are going to be so messed up. That you're gonna say, I can't believe I'm saying that. You know, again, you know I'm what? Not, I'm not looking forward to the fourth step, <laughs> where you have to go through. Well, and not take only that. I mean, all. sometimes it's but almost right. like living, living it. You know, like it's you know, like some some have asked me, you know, like how much have you worked your step, your steps? And I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to live my steps. You know, like I'm yeah. trying to every single time I reach out to mm -hmm. my to my to my sponsor, I'm gonna be, you know, I'm actually telling him stuff that sometimes I can't even believe that I'm actually thinking. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The first, pretty much like one of the first things he tells me is, oh yeah, yeah I've, I've, you know, like I've had those thoughts, you know, like I've already had those thoughts um, in, you know, in my past. I'm like, okay. And, you know, like just by having this, you know, like having this said to me, changes almost everything you know like it, 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 it changed completely changes like your perspective of how shameful you can be of having those thoughts um yeah my, my I, you know, is, and, and, I, I know yeah. i just i feel more comfortable in my own skin now and i think a lot of it has to do with like the the time we're in right now it's okay to be anything like it's acceptable. Yep. There's sure there's going to be prejudice, especially in like conservative old white men. <laughs> You're always going to get judged. You know, I got a tattoo of a tattoo of a flying unicorn on me and fucking just dumb shit. Just dumb things about my personality. I'm a weird guy. 
And uh, I just like the last couple of weeks have been more and more comfortable just being like, you know what? I am fucking super weird. And uh, if you don't like it, you don't got to talk to me or hang out with me, but I like it. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I, and, and, I feel and comfortable. I just, you know, I'm not trying to be someone else anymore. I've just been me and it's been working. And I, I think I was such a big fear with all the shit that I've talked to you about with growing up and having those insecurities and wanting to fit in. And it's like, now I get it. Like you, the people that are meant to be your friends and meant to be those relationships are going to stay there no matter who the fuck you are, if they're the right people that are meant to be in your life. And maybe some go, you're a little too out there for me or a little too eccentric or a little too what the fuck ever. And if that person leaves, I just know that that person wasn't meant to be in my circle and it's okay. Like I'm actually, you know, saving time. I don't want to waste time having a fake relationship with anybody, not in my mid thirties anymore. Yeah. You know, because I, I just, I, I don't care. I just don't care anymore. It's and it's, freeing. it's, it's, it's really a good, freeing and it's a good like thing. That. Yeah. And it's a good thing, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, like not only, you know, like is the kind of fuck it, you know, a moment <laughs> is, but you know, like there is, there's really, really, really something about giving yourself a break you know, like, so it's, it's all about, okay, you know, like that, that's where I'm at right now. And that's, that's good. You know, like, that's a good thing. Um, I've, you know, like you've decided to stop using, that's mm -hmm. a great fucking thing. You know, like that, that's, that's all in itself. That's, that's huge. So you, 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 you pretty much, you know, like go from there and, you know, like it and improve on it. And, and, and that's it. You know, like that's, that's, there's nothing much more to it. Um, fortunately there is there is kind of a guide you know like which is either the big book or whatever reading you yeah. make that's going to inspire you in in better things you know like and 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 um you can you can't go lower yeah you can't go lower than being in a fucking psych ward you know like you oh, know, I I'll, I'll, every time someone comes in and has a problem he goes well at least you're not and then he kind of tells a little bit of my story and winks at me everyone's kind of laughing and I'm just like, well, he's got a fucking point. <laughs> I laugh along. Like exactly. it's, it's part of, it was part of my story that got me here. It is what yeah. it is. And there's, <laughs> there's no, yeah, there's no, uh, there's no secret to that. You know, like there's, there's, you know, like always having, you know, like a, a quick thought on, on these moments and you know like some would be you know like that 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 guy next to you your cell screaming and losing his shit and sometimes it's going to be you know like i'm i was telling someone this morning that you know like don't ask why but you know like that memory that i have of myself is actually bent over in a minivan crying because i lost a screwdriver <laughs> I'm sorry crying for laughing, my but like eyes. It's, no, 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 no. But it's, it's you know, a funny like, it, it is, it is a laughable situation. Yeah, it just exactly. Was, it just had that but it was, moment. It was a bottomless pith of desperation and sadness and tragic. I lost I mean, a fucking screwdriver. I could see and that. So, though. I mean, if, if you're if you're so fucked up, you can't even keep a screwdriver around. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, again, you know, like it's, there's. I mean, it could be a really bad thing. Yeah, but there's not many, you know, like uh, kind of elaborate thinking around it. My flash of that bottom moment is that image that I have. Yeah. Scratching the rug of my 
of the, you know, like of the floor of that minivan looking for a fucking screwdriver. And so I will never, ever forget that because I couldn't go lower in terms of how I felt at that moment. There was no lower moment in my life. And so if I always keep that in mind, I can never be anywhere else but higher in spirit, in emotions, in my head than at that time 15 years ago. Um, And this is probably one of the, you know, like biggest secret of, you know, like, you know, keeping sobriety. It's to look at this and say, I was, I was not even a millionth of myself there. I'm, 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 I'm anything but that individual that was in this car, you know, like, and, and then calling my family and crying that I wanted to die. And, you know, like you, you pretty much said that story, you know, like, you know, like you said pretty much a a, a story. You feel so fucking worthless at that point in your life. Like I had thoughts of like, I'm not good to anybody. I take advantage of people. I do things completely out of selfishness. Like the world would probably be a better place without me. And like, it really at the time made sense to me. That's an angle. The other angle is that we're such egocentrical assholes that we want to share that pain with someone else. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I wish I could go back and like replay that from a sober perspective, but still be trapped in my mind. But I think, yeah, uh, and, and see, kind of see really that, you know, like, kind of check out, you know, I just, I was sick of being yeah, such a fucking then, selfish asshole. Yeah. And the people you, you know, like, the, well, actually for my experience, the people that I was calling and telling them that, you know, like I, you know, like I wanted to die and this and that was all about hearing the, you know, like the, I guess it's the nice girl, you know, like the nice girl looking complex, you know, like I'm, I'm so ugly. And, you know, like she wants to hear that. No, 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 you're beautiful. You know, like it was pretty much the same thing. You know, like I want to die. No, 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 no. Don't kill yourself. You know, like we love you. You know, like kind of that. <laughs> same yeah, I, thing I where I tried you know, to get I, someone to convince me. I, when I was talking to the police officer, I go, "Why don't we just do something uh, logical? You tell me why I shouldn't die, and if you can make sense, then I'll agree to do what you say." And no one could convince me. I always had an answer that left everybody with no answer, and so that even like further depressed me. <laughs> to where I'm just, I go, I'm waiting. What? What else? Well, you have so much to live for. I was like, first of all, you don't know me. No, I don't. Um, everything that you, you're going to tell me that I have to live for, I'm either hurting those people or the physical things are just all superficial in some stressful kind of situation I put myself in that I can't leave now because how expensive it is to keep those things. So I'm constantly stuck in this hamster wheel of having to work to make money to afford shit that I'm trying to use to impress people I don't even fucking like. And then they would kind of stop and look at each other. and like, so what's the next argument? And like, I don't know, it's kind of like a game to me, but like, I was almost trying to convince myself, like I should die. Like deep down, I don't think I wanted to, but I was like, I was, I was kind of hoping that they'd give me a real answer, but nobody ever did. It wasn't up to them though. It was up to me. Being human is, you know, like being human, being on this earth and having kids and, you know, like, the, you know, like there are so many reasons. And, and at the same time, you, you just said it, you know, like you, you need to find those reasons within yourself. You know, like no one else can actually tell you that you're at the bottom <laughs> and you need to, you know, like kind, kind of, you know, well, re, 
get reborn from that and you know and you're you're on on the fact that you seem to be on a fantastic track right now and you know keep keep it going you know know, it's alcohol is a depressant i get it yep i I get why i was thinking and talking that way and it's like there's two ways to look at it and both of them do make sense one i could cut myself out of the equation my kids might be better off they're not going to have some piece of shit alcoholic father that caused a lot of trauma in their lives and made them go lead a life that's similar to mine in which I'm experiencing so much pain. So from that aspect, it made sense. But I think the one good thing my dad taught me was that there's good shit somewhere. Like the whole Mr. Rogers thing, it's like, you just got to find the fucking good. And so the flip side was, I'm capable. I'm capable of a lot. I've, I've succeeded in everything I've ever put my mind to. Why don't you go and demonstrate that? And instead of just having your kids grow up, not knowing what the fuck happened to their dad, like, sure, you're going to probably stop some trauma, but you're going to create a whole new realm of trauma from them not having a father at all. So the best logical way is to get your fucking shit together, be a man and go stop the cycle that your dad was too much of a selfish asshole for him not to be able to break for someone he claimed to love. And that's the thing. That's why I'm still fucking mad at him because I know how much I care for my kids. And like, I would do anything for him. And it pisses me off that my dad, in my mind, didn't feel that way about me. Yeah. And I think, you know, like the the, the process you're going to go through is that um, it probably was um, the same thing that you went through, which is, um, you know, like that, you know, like there's a part of it that, you know, like you, you describe your dad as someone that probably has had his own addiction. You know, yeah, so it's, and, it's you know, hard to forgive now being a father myself and, and knowing those like those feelings like it's 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 weird. But I, I should I shouldn't blame him based off what I'm feeling because I don't know what the fuck he was going through. You know, he ended up in a lot worse places than I did from his drinking. Uh, believe that or not, <laughs> he, you know, he yeah. ended up in, in detox multiple times and started having seizures and lost multiple jobs, lived in a little shithole box where it ended up getting cancer. And instead of going and getting it fixed, he drank himself to near death. And two times he uh, had an opportunity. I didn't care as much about my dad. I was, I was the boy. I was mama's boy. And my sister and my dad had a little bit more of that connection. And he wasn't answering her phone calls. And she went and found him and, you know, two bottles of Southern Comfort on the floor. And he was just out and like about to go, took him to detox, took him to the hospital. Doctor said, you got kidney cancer. So he got his shit together. He got his kidney removed and everything was fine. He said, come back in six months, make sure the cancer, make sure we got it all when we took out your kidney. And, uh, he waited, he started drinking again and he waited like a year and a half. And by the time he went back, he, they go, well, your cancer not only came back, but it spread to five organs. So we're looking at a immediate operation. And like the fact that it spread to five organs, like this is, this shit blows my mind. They got it all out like multiple hours and hours of surgery. And then they told him again, come back in six months, (laughs) make sure we got it all. And he pulled the same dumb shit. And by the time he went back into the hospital for the same reason, my sister trying to reach out to him and finding him drinking himself half to death and then taking him into the ER because he lost everything. And under the whole Obamacare thing, like the only way that they had to take you if you went in through the emergency room. It was this little loophole here in our healthcare system. And so he went in 
and just, you know, it was turning yellow and they thought it was from drinking the liver, but it was because he had a softball sized tumor on his liver. And that was it. There was nothing they could do. And, and I remember him just like sitting in bed, like kind of crying. And I didn't fucking feel anything for him because he's like, why me? Why did God put me in this position? And I'm like looking around the room to see if like there's cameras for a joke TV show going, why you, you fucking had every opportunity to avoid this shit. And you chose to drink and not take, like if it was me and I had cancer and the doctor said, come back at six months, I would come back in six days and be like, dude, I know let's just do the test now. And I'm going to do it every six days and make sure that I don't fucking have cancer. And for some reason, like it's just an alcoholic mind and what he was going through at the time, it just wasn't important to him. Maybe he didn't fully understand what was going to happen. And he had some sort of delusion from drinking. But like when he was sitting there and like, I looking back, I feel bad for not feeling shit for him because I'm sure what he was going through was really fucking scary knowing like that was it. There's nothing you can do anymore. They tried to give him chemo pills. It made him lose a shit ton of weight. It made him feel like stuff. And he just said, I didn't, he didn't want to go out that way. So he took him out of the hospital, put him in a nursing home. He hated it there. They put you in a room with these shitty people and the guys that just had, you know, they chip themselves or just smell weird or the food tastes like crap. And so we moved him into like a, a little house where this, there was a nurse and I pretty sure I went and saw him the day he died, um, earlier in the day. And I just hadn't seen him in like a week and I went and visited him and he was like a hundred pounds. He couldn't talk. And, uh, there's just something on his face. And like, I just knew like he was gone soon. And that night he uh, passed away. Well, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, like the, there's, uh, there's a saying that says, you know, like there's, there's pretty much, you know, like for a path, you know, like it's the prison hospital or morgue yeah. or you just stop. Yeah, you got three options. Or you just, <laughs> yep. Or you just stop, you know? And, um, uh, yeah. I mean, James, I got to thank you. Can you believe that we just hit the second hour mark I'm of our conversation? Right yeah, it's a, that went by. <laughs> I, went by I hope I didn't take up too much of your time. But no, not at all. I mean, like that's precisely why we do that. You know, like I want, I want, you know, like I want my guests to share uh, as much as they feel free to do. Um, and I appreciate every minute that you shared with me. You know, like that. That's um, the purpose yeah. of that podcast and like I never could have imagined how good it is for me first and then you know like I do like I told you before we started recording you know like I I do get great you know like comments and great um private messages of you know like the the people appreciating and and actually taking care of their own recovery through yeah. you know, like listening to the podcast. And so you're now part of that journey. Uh, I can't thank you enough. You know, like we didn't know each other, you know, like I take a lot of chances by reaching out and, yeah. and, you know, like actually inviting strangers to, <laughs> right. to take part of it. And, you know, like you, you, you kindly accept it. And, you know, like I, I'm, I'm super grateful for that. You know, like it's uh it's a great opportunity. Um, the last question I'm going to ask, you know, like, I know that you, you know, like you, you, you shared, um, kind of your journey, uh, of sobriety through your social media, um, precisely Instagram. Um, is there a way, or, you know, like, do you want to share that? Do you want to have, you know, like, see, do you want to have people, um, 
find you and you know like um yeah I'm, I'm still open about a lot of the shit i'm going through and a lot of the shit i'm feeling and um if if someone like I, that's why i share and there's people that'll reach out to me and they're like dude i've been following you for five years and it's just been like a fucking reality tv show just like because i'm pretty open about the ups and the downs the good and the bad and you know my struggles and everything i talk pretty openly about it um and if i just I don't know how many people I'm helping until someone steps in and speaks up and says, Hey, when you did this months ago, I got hooked following you. And, um, it's a real estate page. You know, I advertise my houses on there, but I think there's like something special about bringing like a very real quality to that because you know, social media, it's like a fucking highlight reel most of the time. And, uh, that I think it's a really big, reason why there's so many mental illness problems in these young kids who only see the coolest shit that someone's experiencing in their life. And that to them, it looks like real life. And you know, young kids fucking kill themselves over this shit. Like it's, yep. I, I don't want to be a reason that someone kills themselves. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's crazy sure. to me, but yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a topic for another day mental health and everything, but, um, I don't want to contribute to that. So yeah, I think uh, I was thinking about it a little bit and I'm sharing my story. Like, obviously it is what it is. It's me. It's what I've gone through. It's my life experience. It's going to help people. If for some reason there's someone who follows me in my job or personally that chooses to just think I'm a big fuck up and they don't want to be in my life, just whatever. I don't, like I was telling you, I just don't give a fuck anymore. And so where can people find you, James? Uh, my Instagram handle is at ransom house. That's R A N as in Nancy S O M as in Mary dot house. H O U S E. Again, thanks a lot for your time. Really James, you know, like it was, uh, you know, like it, it, it was a treat for me, you know, like it's, uh, yeah. I mean like the, the, it's the similarities that always, you know, like show me off my you know like my yeah. my chair you know like that it's so so many parallels i can make on, on some of the stuff i went through and i fell through um that you know like i i i'm i'm super grateful of of you sharing so um i wish you the best um i hope you know like you keep you know like you keep that um your head high and you know like the 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 transparency that you you had with me you know like you keep it everywhere and you know like uh, you know like that those are great um you know like th- those are great qualities that you yeah. got you know like and 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 keep them you know yeah. like you you're you seem like a, a great human being and you know like i i you know like people would have missed that story if it you know like anything tragic would have happened to you yeah well i just hope i hope i helped and hope someone listening to your podcast uh feels and, and can identify with something that maybe changes their path. That's all I'm hoping for out of this. If it's one person, it was worth it, you know? Yep. That's appreciated. So take care. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, let's keep in touch. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.